0: I'm always interested in what's not being talked about, what people are experiencing, but um, are trying to stuff away, trying to sequester, trying to um, sweep into the corner under the rug when all of that does is create shame and all of that does is create anxiety
1: Cheryl Paul has a unique ability to see the invisible, to see what has been silenced. Her book, The Conscious Bride, has been helping couples prepare for marriage for 20 years and prepare in a very specific way. Her work helps couples create room for all of the emotions that come with the transition, not just the picture-perfect ones. Funny thing is, that allows for even more joy. This is Shame Piñata. I'm Colleen Thomas. Welcome to Shame Piñata, where we talk about creating rites of passage for real-life transitions. When I got engaged six years ago, a good friend of mine gave me a book called The Conscious Bride. Now, I'm not a reader, as my husband will tell you, but I devoured this book. I loved it because it touched on the shadow, the stuff we don't talk about, the stuff that gets in our way when we want to feel one way, but actually feel a myriad of other ways all at the same time. It named the shadow that hovers over the wedding, the attachment, the fear, the uncertainty, the hidden power struggles, and the grief that lies beneath them, and that a big part of stepping into a new life is letting go of the old one, and not just for the couple. The Conscious Bride gave me permission to feel all the ways, and it helped me create room for everyone else to feel all the ways too, so ultimately, we could all process the transition without getting into weird fights about random things. I was so happy to have a chance to speak with Cheryl Paul.
0: So, what led you to write this book? So, I was in a master's program around that time. I was at Pacifica Graduate Institute in Santa Barbara, um, which I don't know if you're familiar with, but it has a very strong Jungian focus. And I had always been interested in rites of passages, and I had a deep sense that there was a lot that was not being talked about around the wedding. And I started to interview women, and um, I did a lot of interviews, especially when it came time to write the book, which came from my master's thesis. So it started out as as the thesis, and then it evolved into a book, and I started to see that there was a big gap in the cultural conversation around... Around transitions in general, all transitions are bypassed and overlooked, but particularly the wedding, and then in particular, how much focus there is on the joy and the perfection, and everything has to be blissful and ecstatic from the moment of the proposal into the first year of the wedding. And there was just no conversation happening about the shadow, about the death experience, about um, what women and men are actually experiencing quite a bit of a time. And, you know, the more I researched and the more I looked and the more I spoke, the more it became quite clear to me that, that, again, that there was a real um, gap in the conversation around this pivotal rite of passage, one of our few ceremonies that we still invoke in the culture. And yet it's done in such a way where we, really gloss over the element of a transition of the reality that when you are in transition, you are in a death experience, you are in a liminal zone, you are between identities, you are letting go, you are grieving. And if we only expect people to feel joyful, um, it creates a lot of anxiety and it creates even more chaos than there naturally would be around an event like this. Because I'm feeling sad, because I have a sense of loss, because I feel like a part of me is dying, because I'm not over the moon ecstatic, something must be wrong with me or with my partner or um, with the decision to get married. Something's wrong. Mm -hmm. And it's an incredibly deep sigh of relief to the soul to know that nothing is wrong. In fact, the more you let those difficult feelings in, the more you will open to the joy that the pain and the grief and the discomfort and the vulnerability are the doorways into the joy, into what we are expected to feel and into what we hope to feel. Mm. And we, what I started to say earlier was that, that the wedding, more than any other transition, I think, has well, probably being pregnant and becoming a mother comes close, Has carries a very strong cultural expectation of unilateral joy. And it is supported in a big way by the wedding industry that sells perfection and sells joy. So it's, a, it's very big money behind selling us um, the bill of goods by selling us this message that you are supposed to be joyful. And the way to do that is to create a perfect
1: event. How do you work with someone if they're just starting to realize that they don't have to only feel joyful. So I tell them to read my book. <laughs> um, <laughs> and
0: you know, it's really the first part, it's about re-educating people to understand all of the normal and necessary feelings that accompany this transition. And once they understand that everything they're feeling is normal and necessary, they can start to let it in and the vulnerability feel the loneliness these are all normal feelings that accompany transitions so once we give ourselves permission to feel without that overlay of because i'm feeling this it means there's something wrong everything changes from there we don't then have to misassign meaning to the feelings and to think because i'm feeling sad it means i'm making a mistake no It has nothing to do with that. You're feeling sad because you are in a rite of passage. You're feeling sad because you are in the death experience, letting go of this identity, this primary identity as single person, as daughter, and shifting into an entirely new stage of life and new identity. And there is no way to go through that without feeling grief.
1: you spent a good portion of the book talking about how the bride is separating from the father, father figure, and the mother, mother figure, and the friends. Um, can you say more about that process?
0: Yes. So um, it can go a few different ways. If, if the bride is very close to her father, That's one set of emotions and experiences where there is tends to be a lot of grief, a lot of crying, really good medicinal necessary crying um, to make that separation process and to make it more effective, to make it more complete, to make it more conscious. Again, in the naming, to say, I am separating from my dad. I am no longer going to be, yes, I'm his daughter, but not in the same way, not as my primary identity that my new partner is going to be, um, number one and I'm transferring allegiance. So that's one example of one way that it can go. If, if someone's very close to their father, if somebody doesn't have a close relationship with their father or there is no father figure in their life, that's a different kind of grief of the loss of not having had that or never having had that. Um, the same as somebody has passed away, if somebody who's getting married and their mother's no longer alive um you know that's that's one way that grief can come through as opposed to a mother who is very much alive and very much involved and then there's a separation there's there's a loosening of cords that is required
1: i'm curious as you're speaking how this applies i'm sure it's very different but how it applies to folks who are older when they get married who are maybe a second marriage um, it can be different. It can be
0: similar. It depends. It depends on a lot of factors. But regardless of the age, especially if it's a first marriage and you're getting married at 40, you're still letting go of a massive identity. And in some ways, it's even more of a letting go because of all of those years that you spent as a non-married person. Mm. And so there's a lot of grieving, a lot of um, of shedding of the independence, um, the separateness, all of the control that you have when you are a non-married person, um, that every inch of your life is your own, your home, your space, how you spend your time, how you organize your weekend. It's all yours. Mm -hmm. And so that is its own massive death experience Mm -hmm. for somebody who marries later you know, who has had that many more years than someone who's 22. If you're 42, that's a lot of years of being the sole architect of your
1: life. So you work with people around transitions, all kinds of transitions now. And I'm curious if ceremony plays a part in that with them. I'm a big fan
0: of ceremony Um, because my work is largely over the internet. I'm not the one doing the ceremony with them. Um, I would love to be that person, but I'm not, but I always encourage people to create ceremony and create, create rituals. Um, and so, you know, if it's somebody getting married and, and, and I've had a lot more men come my way by the way, over, since I wrote the conscious bride, um, and I'm I'm thinking of of some right now who are in one of my small coaching groups, and uh, he's getting married on Saturday. And I won't I won't share the specifics, but it's um, because it's his story. But it's um, it's really beautiful to witness men in their transitional process and the rituals that they come up with, because I encourage people to find their own rituals that are meaningful to them, ways to acknowledge the end of, you know, in his sake, his bachelorhood, that that time in his life is over. And so he has been sharing these incredibly potent rituals that have come to him for ways of um, recognizing that that time in his life is over. And, and what ritual does is, is, as you know, is it, it concretizes, it makes it and it embodies what's happening mm-hmm. so that it brings it out of just that realm of talking about it and it sends it into a realm that we can't see with our five senses but very much exists and yet calls on the five senses to help transmute um, the experience into another form. And so rituals help us cross over that sometimes very scary divide that just looks like a big cavernous, empty space crossing from one identity to a new identity, from one stage of life to the next. And without the rituals, we are, we're pretty lost. And so You know, again, as I, as I said earlier, the wedding is one of the few ceremonies that we have, which comes with ritual. Um, a lot of people tend to minimize or diminish the ceremonial aspect because they're so focused on the party and the reception, (laughs) you know, that's where all of the energy goes when really it's the ceremony that has so much power to carry us over the divide between one stage and the next
1: and that's something I'm trying to encourage and put seeds out in the world for as well that people take that uh, the ritual the ceremony of the marriage the wedding and they they feel free to do it their way so that it's powerful and as powerful and meaningful for the couple as possible
0: yes yes Yes. And I think we are at this extraordinary time in our world where we have freedom to do that, where we are breaking out of the traditions that have gone stale and revitalizing them with with personal meaning of what is meaningful for you. And there may be longstanding time honored traditions that are still meaningful. And I'm by no means um, one to throw everything out that we've come from. Because many of those rituals are gorgeous and meaningful, but only if they're meaningful for the individual, Mm -hmm. right? Only if they land in a place where something inside of you says, yes, right? That helps me, that bolsters me, that comforts me, Mm -hmm. right? So, you know, whether it's at a Jewish wedding standing under the chuppah, you know, it's just this beautiful symbol of, of our new home and, and this you know, long standing tradition, if that's meaningful to somebody, great. If it's not, then it really, it's not gonna do anything for you on a spiritual level.
1: I shared with Cheryl that before my wedding, I created a self-commitment ceremony for myself and that in that ceremony, I presenced all of my ancestral grandmothers with the acknowledgement of how important marriage might've been for them, how much of a survival tool I did this because women standing in society has evolved so much, even since my mother's generation, but yet we're all still connected to our ancestral legacy. And that felt like a really important thing to me. Mm, Well,
0: that's incredibly beautiful
1: that you did that and
0: so powerful. And it's probably the number one fear that comes up for women that I'm working with in their pre-wedding time and their engagement is the fear of what does marriage mean and doesn't mean that, that I am beholden to this person now and I lose all sense of self and I become boring and frumpy. And <laughs> you know, this is, this is the legacy. This is yeah. what we've been handed, right? This is what it has meant for thousands and thousands of years mm-hmm. is that For women, marriage has meant really the death of self. I exist to take care of the man and to take care of the children, and that's it. And so there's this very deep ancestral legacy that we have to consciously break with and recognize that we are so lucky and we are so blessed to be on this new threshold that we get to redefine what marriage means. For us, Mm -hmm. and we only can really know that after we've taken the leap, because on the other, on the first side, on the engagement side, um, it all looks and sounds so scary to most women, and you know that's why I have so many exercises in the Conscious Bride, more so I think in the Conscious Bride's Wedding Planner, on what does it mean to be a wife? What does that mean to you? What does the word wife connote when you think of wife? What is the connotation? For you, mm-hmm. And it's very rare that someone's going to say, oh, I see this rad, sexy woman, you know, <laughs> like doing like the dance on the rooftops. Like, no, that's not usually what we think of when we hear the word wife. Mm-hmm. But it could be more and more we are redefining that and we are seeing that. And so I tell people, but look out into the world today and find those, um, those models of marriage. Where you see a woman who is doing her life fully, you know, and yes, maybe she's also a mother and she's, you know, loves being married and she's fully committed to her path and, and making her offerings and doing her work in the world, Mm -hmm. right? Separate from Mm -hmm. wife and mother. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: So, yeah, I love I love that. I love what you share. I love what you did. I think that is not only powerful, but essential on that ceremonial ritual level to recognize
1: what we've come from. I'm just so happy and honored to have the chance to talk to you after after all this time of really, really, really appreciating your book and your wisdom. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
0: thank you, Colleen.
1: It means a great deal to me to have had the opportunity to share Cheryl's wisdom with you. I hope you're able to use it or pass it along to a friend. Here's one final bit of wisdom, a quote from The Conscious Bride. A marriage is a rite of passage no matter when it occurs, and the woman must pass through the phases of her transformation. She must die, she must sit in the unknown, and then she will be reborn. Cheryl Paul is the author of The Conscious Bride and The Conscious Bride's Wedding Planner. Her website contains a plethora of resources for addressing life transitions. Learn more about Cheryl and her work at ConsciousTransitions.com. That's Conscious-Transitions.com. Our music is by Terry Hughes. If you like the show, please take a minute to review it on Apple Podcasts. And learn more at com. I'm Colleen Thomas. Thanks for listening.
2: Some days, all I want to do is escape. I'm not just talking about getting out of my house. I'm talking about standing in a cathedral of redwoods, or the one time I saw the Northern Lights. That feeling that I'm part of something bigger. Escape can be small too, like the checkout worker who knows me even though we've never seen each other's faces, or the friend who hugs me and won't let go. That kind of escape flips a switch. It reminds me that even when the world is on fire, there is also beauty and delight. I can let my guard down. For a moment, I'm home. Welcome to Shelter in Place, a podcast about embracing the journey in a world forever changed. We spent season two on a pandemic odyssey that brought us from one coast to the other and back again. In season three, we're bringing you stories in search of home. What do I want to welcome back into my life and what do I want to leave behind? We're not sure what home looks like anymore, but we know what we want from it. I wanna know that I belong here.
1: Not because of what I accomplished or earned,
2: but because of who I am. I want a home where we don't pretend that our world isn't broken, but we're creating beauty from that brokenness. We're exploring how to be human in a way that feels expansive rather than exhausting. We're learning how to escape not out of life, but into it. Listen wherever you get podcasts or head to shelterinplacepodcast.org to join us on this journey in search of home.